Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're talking about your neighbors, not the nice ones, which you can share a cup of coffee with and get an invitation to their 4th of July backyard barbecue. No, I'm talking about those real jerks, the noisy, nosy neighbors that are just a nuisance. Let's face it, you can pick your dream home, but you're kind of stuck with your neighbors. So you do the best you can to live in harmony, Otherwise, things can quickly escalate and the bizarre and spiteful behavior begins. And because we live in the wackiest state, that behavior can get downright weird. Take, for instance, bad neighbors who erect a spite wall. Yes, it's a thing. And Florida actually has a spite fence law. In the law, it states, a spite fence is a wall or fence that does not have a useful purpose, but is unsightly to look at and meant to be erected and maintained for malicious reasons. However, proving such an offense may be tricky, and let's not even discuss the unsightly things I see in my neighborhood. Now that's a topic for a different day. But in the case of spite walls, you'd be surprised to learn this problem has existed here since the beginning of the 20th century which makes sense because Florida was experiencing a building boom. Historian and fellow podcaster Casey Paquette joins me to provide some examples. I sat down with Casey in his office to discuss these neighbor disputes. Casey, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you inviting me and having me back. Today, we are talking kind of about jerky neighbors, which I'm sure everybody has a story about a jerky neighbor. But in particular, we're talking about something called spite walls, which is actually a law here. Can you explain what that is? The concept of a spite wall is uh, a way that two adjoining properties or neighbors uh, have a way of really kind of settling their differences by actually creating a physical barrier between their properties. Uh, Miami's had a very long history of these spite walls going up. The law that you're referring to is to keep Floridians from actually erecting these walls, which are aesthetically normally not very pretty, and, and that's by intention, b between property. And, uh, you know, typically you would think of zoning laws, you would think of, um, you know, even associations being able to outlaw this, but this law really kind of covers those areas that those zoning laws don't specifically cover. So uh, I think it'll probably be a little bit clearer as we give some examples uh, yeah, I was in history. Say, than, it's a yeah. little murky because when I was reading about it, I'm thinking, well, you could just not like your neighbor and say, I don't like your fence. Like what actually deems it spiteful? But in these particular cases that you are bringing to our audience, you can tell it's Yes. Spiteful. Yes. When challenged on these barriers, whoever put it up typically has an excuse and why it was an improvement on their property. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> as long as you have an answer for it, most of the time these things actually made their way into uh, into the court system, which really I maybe we could start with kind of the first example. And we're going to go all the way back to 1914. In downtown Miami, you know, people think of downtown areas today with nothing but concrete and, and commercial buildings and office buildings and maybe in the case of Miami, very large condominiums. But really, uh, kind of as we went from 1910 uh, into that decade, one of the big problems that Miami had, they had um, a shortage of housing and a shortage of accommodations for people that would visit. 
Uh, there were people relocating faster than the housing stock was going up. So downtown became an area where you'd start to see rooming houses that were once uh, a residential house became rooming houses. You start to see the beginning of apartment buildings being constructed and even some other hotels. So in our specific case, we're going to talk about an apartment building called the Saragusa Apartments. Uh, forgive me if I've got the pronunciation wrong. But it was the attempt by a Dr. Um, Charles Hopkins of getting into the real estate business. He ended up buying a plot of land on the corner of today's Northeast 3rd Street, Northeast 2nd Avenue. Back then, it was 9th Street and Avenue B. We had a different address scheme back then. So uh, so anyway... Um, so the doctor decides to build this apartment building. And back then, zoning was a lot, you know, a lot less restrictive than you would find today. And what he ended up doing is he ended up utilizing every square inch of the, the lot to put up this uh, three-story apartment building. Uh, he uh, brought it right up to the sidewalk. Um, and then he also brought it right up to his neighbor's lot lines. Of course, that irritated one of his neighbors. You know, he built it in a residential area. Uh, now there's this multifamily, almost commercial building that is right up against the lot line. And one of those neighbors, uh, the Gilbert family, didn't appreciate it. At first, they tried to object to him building there, and they had no luck with that. So once the building was up, it was up. And it was right on the lot line. So at that point, uh, the Gilberts uh, decided to build their own wall between right on the lot line, right between their house and this apartment building. Now, if you can imagine, the apartment building, particularly the first and second floors, are almost right next to, with probably just 10, 15 feet or so, between the house where the Gilberts were looking for privacy and the apartment itself. Jeez. So it was right up. So now the Gilberts decided they're going to build a wall that's very uh, invasive. Yeah, you know? it, it is very invasive. You can understand why they're irritated. Yeah, but I course. think the reaction might have been a little excessive. So they started to build out this wall. And as they were pouring the foundation for it, Dr. Hopkins, you know, said, well, wait a minute, you know, this wall is going to block, you know, the view and the window and the breeze for people on the first floor. So he objected. And uh, of course, the Gilberts have said, you know, well, we're just, you know, improving our property. <laughs> that was their excuse. Yeah, yeah. So it got to a point where it uh, it rose to about six feet. But during that process, in addition to the fact that they were going to put a wall that was going to cut off air circulation. Now, keep in mind, in 1914, we're far from air conditioning. Yeah. And, you know, the one nice thing about the apartments, particularly if it's three stories high and above all the residences, you could open up your window and get a nice breeze. You can't do that if you have a wall within a foot of right. the outside of right. your of your window. So as this thing was going up, you had people moving in, and they're not familiar with this conflict. So they're moving in, they're opening up the windows. Mrs. Gilbert would go out, and she would accidentally, on purpose, start uh, emptying her hose oh into the into the windows. Mm -hmm. And when the renters objected. They said, well, you know, this is infringing upon our property and privacy. So the intention was to go up 16 feet, which would have blocked pretty much the entire, you know, window sight line from mm -hmm. the Saragossa apartments. However, by the time it got up to six foot, Dr. Hopkins had already been filing lawsuits. Eventually, a judge stepped in and this was a appealed and the appellate court upheld it was, it said that you can't do this. You can't build this wall that's going to completely block the view of the apartment building. So even though he built probably a little too close to the property, uh, Dr. Hopkins did win out, and that spite wall had to come down. 
Yeah, and, I, and I wonder if that's what kind of began the law. I could see being on the property line as being tight. Sometimes I feel like I'm tight next to my neighbor, but yeah, then putting a wall up there is just, yeah, that's definitely a perfect example of spite. Yeah, and it's pretty overt, and it's, you know, quite frankly, a little petty, particularly spraying, spraying water, water. Uh, yeah. in, into Jeez. open windows. Jerky neighbor number one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and, and what I found interesting is that, you know, this idea of a spite wall was, a, it was an idea that predated Miami. It was something that was done in Europe and, you know, when brothers had castles and they didn't want to see each other and wanted to create a barrier, they put up spite walls. And so this idea of a spite wall was actually being applied to this situation as early as 1914, if you looked in the Miami Metropolis uh, news articles. Fast forwarding just a few years mm -hmm. to 1917, and we're, uh, we talked about the Brickle family and the Brickle neighborhood in our last podcast together. The Brickles own, like I said, a very large mass of land south of the Miami River. They too also got in on providing rental houses, particularly for family, single family, but also apartments. However, Charles and William, the two oldest brothers of William and Mary Brick, did have a sibling rivalry uh, that was, you know, pretty well known. Bull Bill Brickle was, uh, and this is Bill the third, so uh, Bill and Mary's uh, oldest son. Uh, he was more hands-on. Um, he was he would get involved with overseeing construction projects, rolling up his sleeve and getting involved. Charles Brickle was more sociable, was more um, kind of aligned to the society crowd that was starting to develop in, in Miami about this time. So the two of them had plans for property at the end of A Street, which is also known as the Tamiami Trail, right before you get to today's Brickle Bridge. There was no bridge back then in 1917. So Charles Brickle had the property on the south end of that terminus, and Bill Brickle III had property on the north side. So Charles got started in 1917 to build what he was going to call the Brickle Apartments, naming it okay. for the family, which mm -hmm. makes sense. It was designed by, I believe, August Geiger, just a beautifully designed Mediterranean apartment building. And he got a jump on construction and completion of his apartment building before there was almost a construction boycott due to World War One. Bill Brickle, who was going to start a little bit later, ended up having, having to put his project on hold. And so Charles Brickle got the first leg up by finishing his apartment building first. One part of his design is he had like an observation patio on the top of the building. Nice. And in the advertisements for this, first of all, it was designed and it was marketed to soldiers coming home from World War One, but it also was marketed to people that you really wanted to be in a very brand new apartment building with great amenities. There was an elevator, but this observation area to, to specify in their advertisements that you can see as far as the eye can see to the north, to the east, to the west, and to the south. It was one of the higher buildings at the time in 1917-1918. So the war ends November 1918, and Bill Brickle begins to develop his building, keeping in mind that there's a sibling rivalry there. So one thing he decides to do is he makes it a story higher, uh -huh. and it m makes it a much bigger building. Mm -hmm. And so as this thing becomes complete, Charles Brickle, not publicly, but uh, there were people that recounted later that, you know, he was a little chafe that... Uh, that his the people that were renting from him are going to have their view blocked to the north because yeah. that's where Bill Brickle was building his apartment building. So by 1918, Bill Brickle Sr., the father, had already passed away. He had died in 1908. 
And Mary Brickle was really the matriarch of the family. And the two of them were always competing for her affection. Mm -hmm. And so after Bill Brickle finishes his apartment building, it kind of his next leg up, he's already blocking the Brickle apartment's view to the north, which is really toward downtown. So that was really a kind of a valuable view. But then he names it the Balmer Apartments. And the reason that that's significant is that his mother's maiden name is Balmer. So it was just another way of him getting a little bit closer. He had lasted bats, so he was able to put up his building after Charles Brickle. Such passive-aggressive. Yeah, Yeah, very (laughs) passive-aggressive. And the very first guest to check into the Bulmer Apartments was Louis Comfort Tiffany of Tiffany Tiffany. Glass fame. Wow. He was the very first guest of the Bulmer Apartments. And uh, they made a big deal about that as it opened, that he was going to be the first person to stay there. So it really kind of added a few feathers into Mm -hmm. Bill Brickle the third's cap in that he got last opportunity to to make his building whatever he wanted. And going even further into the future, his building actually outlasted his brother Charles' building by 20 years. Wow. So okay. the so the Brickle apartments ended up going down in 1959. It's now the location of where the four ambassadors are today. As a matter of okay. fact, if you look outside the window where we're sitting today, you mm-hmm. can see the four ambassadors that were built in 1968. The Balmer Apartments ended up lasting till 1979. As a matter of fact, there was a preservation move to keep that building there because it was one of the last buildings built by the Brickle family still standing. But William Brickle IV, now the son of William and Olive Brickle, his point of view on the whole thing was, why save old buildings? Just knock it down. Oh, so he, uh, yeah. he he was not uh, nostalgic at all and didn't, didn't see a need to keep that building. So what you said a floor higher. So how, how many stories was, was Bill's so versus Charles? Testing my memory here, I actually have written articles about both buildings. Anyone listening now can, can check my math. But <laughs> I believe that the Brickle Apartments was five stories, and I think the Balmer Apartments were six, maybe seven. And then we have one of the more famous ones. If you're from South Florida or, you know, you just know the Fountain Blue slash Eden Rock, both of those wonderful hotels, this is probably the most famous case of a bite wall. Tell us a little bit about this particular brouhaha. <laughs> okay. All right. So now we're into the 1950s. And a gentleman by the name of Ben Novak, who was partnered with a gentleman by the name of Harry Muffson. Uh, not sure if they were partnered on this project or they were just business partners that eventually had a falling out. Ben Novak in, uh, in 1954 constructs the Fountain Blue, and his architect is Morris Lapidus, a very well-known oh, yeah. MIMO architect. Yes, Matter of fact, his probably signature work is the Fountain Blue, and then he also was the designer for the Eden Rock. After the Fountain Blue was constructed, Harry Muffson ended up buying a lot just north of the Fountain Blue. So just to give you a sense of addresses, the Fountain Blue is located at 4441 Collins Avenue. The Eden Rock was constructed at 4525 Collins Avenue. Now that seems like that might be far apart, but right. both buildings took a fair amount of the uh, the footprint. The issue at hand was that Ben Novak looked at it as a, as a slap in the face that Harry Muffson hires away his architect and builds right next door to him. And, you know, basically they were competitors, but 
but more than that, there was the rift between their falling out as business partners. And so um, Eden the, Rock is... The rift was between Novak and Mufson. Yes. Not necessarily Novak and Lapidus. Not yet. But when, Not Matt, yet. Okay. when, when Lapidus went to go work for Mufson, Ben Novak really was upset at him was as well. Furious, yeah. yeah. So yeah, both of them were persona non grata as, as far as they were concerned. So anyway, um, Lapidus goes to work for Mufson to design the Eden Rock, and that doesn't sit well with Novak. But it doesn't really manifest itself until after the Eden Rock was done. And if you've ever been in either building, you notice that there's a very large pool area, very large recreation area in both buildings. One thing that Ben Novak wanted to do is he wanted to make you know his ire known to the Eden Rock, to Mufson, and uh, he ends up beginning to plan out an addition to his hotel. Now, this addition would be a very large addition that would block the sun coming from the south into the Eden Rock Pool. On top of it, the design itself called for there being no windows on the backside and no balconies overlooking. So not only was it going to block the sunlight, but it was also going to be very aesthetically yeah, not, not pleasing. You right, know, it's, it right. was going to be an ugly wall. There was talk that when they were going to design it, they were going to have one balcony, and that was going to be Novak Suite in that building so yeah. that he can go out and overlook and, and basically probably gloat is, is what I'm guessing. Yeah I, I, yeah, I feel like I read that that was the only window, like he had a window that yeah. he could actually look down at the Eden Rock. Pool. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I heard. I don't know if that made the design. I have to take a closer look at some pictures. Okay. Yeah. Because um, you would figure it would be pretty high. But, but I think that the original plan called for a balcony, you know, okay. so where he could almost go out and make his yeah. presence known as he looked down. So it actually worked. You know, there was a court battle. Mufson and the Eden Rock tried to block that building from going up. And um, by 1960-61, Novak was successful in erecting this. Basically, it was a 360-room addition that opened up in Holy 1962. Cow. So it was a very large addition, but obviously there were no windows or balconies looking <laughs> looking north, yeah. uh, it was just looking south into the Fountain Blue. So the, the Fountain Blue side of this edition looked beautiful, and the Eden Rock side looked really awful, looked like just a big cement wall. So what's weird when I was reading this was that this case made it all the way to the Florida Supreme Court. And of course, it didn't go anywhere because they said you can't control the you know, which way the sun is going, if he wants to put up a wall, whatever. So I know it didn't really go anywhere, but y your first case that you, that you mentioned, the, the Saragossa apartments, that one winds up being, this is not right. This is unlawful. You shouldn't have a wall here. Yeah. So I think that, you know, different time periods. Right. Um, but I think it would also came down to intent. I mean, I think everybody knew that, that Ben Novak was intending to impact the Eden Rock with his building, mm -hmm. but it was also rooms. It was additions. Whereas if you go back uh, to the Saragossa, yeah, okay. right. now, a, now yeah. you have just this big, ugly wall that is going to cut off breeze and view from the uh, east side of the apartment building, and it serves no other purpose, you know? Right. At least Novak had a way of justifying, hey, yeah, listen, right, this, right. this is how I want to design it, and this has a purpose. It's for rooms. It's, a, it's an addition, and he got it approved. I think that the uh, Gilberts probably sent the message they wanted to send, that they were not too happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how much longer they live next to those apartments, but obviously that you know the, those apartments weren't going anywhere. They they were there for many years. 
Well, Casey, thank you so much. Let our audience know how they can get some of these stories from you again. Okay, thank you. So I I do have uh, a story on the history of the Brickell and Balmer apartments. I haven't written anything yet about the Saragossa or the Fountain Blue or Mm -hmm. Eden Rock at this point on my list, but uh, you can access uh, all the stories that I've been writing for the last 10 years at miami-history.com. Also on there, you can listen to the the podcast. We have podcast episodes hanging off there. If you prefer iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, and Spotify, we're also published out there as well. I forgot to mention on, on, on our last podcast, I actually have a video, a set of videos on a website called the Miami History Channel. We've captured Dr. Paul George's South Florida history course by decade on the Miami History Channel. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Awesome. Thank you very much. That was Casey Paquette, author and historian, talking about family feuds and jerky neighbors who go to great lengths to infuriate each other with unsightly walls. For more interesting stories about Miami history, be sure to check out Casey's blog at miami-history.com and the Miami History podcast he does with Dr. Paul George. The podcast explores a variety of topics related to the people, places, and events that have shaped Miami's history. We'll also provide a link on our website at soflowweird.com. Spite walls are one thing, a big, bold investment just to make a statement. But what about those neighbors who do really bizarre stuff almost every day? Bad behavior that drives your neighbors insane. We are, after all, in Florida. Michelle McArdle, our SoFlo Weird contributor and my co-conspirator, joins me now to discuss some really nasty neighbor stories. Welcome, Michelle. It's always good to have you back on the SoFlo Weird Show. Always good to be back. Now, I know we've had our fair share of weird neighbors, and you've lived in many different apartment buildings and such. One of the favorite places, I think, that, you know, for me where you lived was in Ormond Beach. The walls were so thin you used to sing in the wall between you and the neighbor, right? Yeah, I remember one time I was in the bathroom and the neighbor across the hall started singing and he was like, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. And so I was I was like washing <laughs> my hands or something in the bathroom and I was like, ooh, I am for real. And then together we were like, never meant to make your daughter cry. So it became like kind of a thing at random, completely random moments. If they were singing a song, I knew I would sing back. That's a good neighbor. And I feel like when you live there, it was very communal. Everybody liked each other and got along. But in this first case of weird neighbor story, it it is does have the singing component to it, but it's not it's not what you would think. The first story I'm going to talk about is Florida man busted for singing dirty song to neighbor. Now, this one comes out of Orlando and this is from April 2019. Perhaps next time one Florida man will stick to the classics when attempting to impress a woman with a song. Robert Mirabella, 62, was arrested Saturday after he played guitar and sang an original song to a woman he was serenading. What got him in trouble was that Mirabella was sitting on the woman's porch and the song contained words not formally found in friendlier tunes. According to the arrest report, Mirabella's lyrics contained phrases such as, There's a neighbor who is a bitch. I see her now. She's just a witch. 
The smoking gun reports the woman claimed to have an ongoing issue with her neighbor in the villages just north of Orlando. For his part, Mirabella claimed that he may have sang the song in front of the woman, but it didn't mean it was about her. Mirabella was arrested for disorderly conduct and pleaded not guilty. Now that's, to me, Michelle, that's that's pretty wild. It seems irritating, but I don't know that I would have had somebody arrested for that, for disorderly conduct. I don't know. That just seems pretty harsh. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, personally, if it was me, I would, yeah, probably get annoyed in the moment, but I don't think it's worth being behind bars. He's not really doing anything terribly malicious. I mean, it's a little hurtful. It's a little case of like sticks and stones. Right. But yeah, I would probably have just like let this one slide. Maybe put his email down on a multi-level marketing scheme list so he get calls. <laughs> he gets calls for uh, pyramid schemes, but uh, nothing that wouldn't be just like some kind of harmless prank. Yeah, exactly. But in our stories, they get a little bit worse. What's the next one we have? In this one, there's a Florida man arrested after pooping on a glass table on his neighbor's porch. 64-year-old Ken Carla, 64, goodness gracious, at that age, <laughs> I would think he would just learn to let it go. <laughs> he was letting it go. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel that older people just are like, you know what? I've made it this long. I can do whatever the heck I want. Exactly. <laughs> 64-year-old Ken Carlisle of Clearwater, Florida, had a beef with his neighbor and apparently really needed him to know about it. Carlisle thought the best way to do that was to take a poop on his glass table <laughs> that he had on his front porch in broad daylight. How bold. Yeah. Security cameras caught Carlisle in the act from two separate angles. <laughs> And the police showed up at his home later in the day and arrested him for criminal mischief. Though this arrest normally would have ended with just a $250 fine, according to WFLA, Carlisle was already out on bond following an arrest this past December for drunk driving and discharging multiple firearms into a lake near his house. Carlisle had been freed on an $11,500 bond and still remains behind bars following his latest incident. Okay, this is a bad neighbor. Yeah, this is way worse to me. One, because it's so gross. Yes. But also the fact that the security cameras caught him, like, I don't want to see anyone's butthole <laughs> from any angle, much less multiple angles. Like that to me is like indecent exposure as well as like just being nasty. I know. Right. But this guy just sounds like a complete troublemaker no matter what. You know, he just seems like He's a problem person that's just, no matter what, is going to give everybody a hassle. Can we talk about the $250 fine? Why do I feel like like speeding tickets are more than defecating on someone's <laughs> property? Like, why is it... A set, I feel like that is pretty light. Yeah, yeah that, is, that is pretty light. 250 nowadays is like not that much money. No, <laughs> I know. Yeah, $20 is the new like $10. <laughs> so 250 is like no sweat, man. It's like pff, I'll just poop on whatever. <laughs> 250. And they don't even know what the beef is about. It could be anything, honestly. So this one was number 2, apparently of a number 1 story. 
<laughs> yes, I do have a number one story. This this actually came out from iHeartMedia. Florida woman throws bucket of urine at neighbor over pooping chicken. And this is just a couple of months ago. A Florida woman is facing charges after cops say she got angry over her neighbor's chicken leaving feces on her property, according to the smoking gun. Authorities arrested 57-year-old Christine Terman on Sunday, May 8th, following a dispute at the Palm Haven Mobile Home Park in St. Petersburg. Terman got upset with Lawrence Stencil because of his chicken pooping on the back patio, according to an arrest affidavit obtained by reporters. That's when the angry woman allegedly grabbed a bucket of pee from her bathroom. I'm going to pause right there for a second. Yeah, why does she exactly. just have a bucket of pee on hand? Exactly. Like exactly. Why? Who has a bucket of pee? Oh, let me just go get the pee bucket in the bathroom. You know, is is she just, you know, peeing? Is she not in a, a toilet? Is she just exactly like usual? I'm like, is she on a Home Depot uh, bucket? I, I have no idea. Anyway, she grabbed a bucket of pee from her bathroom, walked onto the back patio, and threw the foul bucket at the victim. Not only did Stenzel get hit in the face with the bucket, but he was doused with pee, deputies wrote. Cops claim the victim was wet when we arrived and smelled of urine. Okay, now I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. That's another stop for me. So you get a bucket of pee in your face, and you're going to stand there wet, nasty, foul, and disgusting till the cops show up. That just sounds really gross to me. You know what I mean? Well, maybe, maybe stencil, <laughs> maybe stencil was like, let's just let them see the level of drama that has undergone. Okay. So circling back to the bucket of pee in the bathroom, though. <laughs> By the way, we're not this, finished with this, this story, pre- but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. This is, I think this is a premeditated urination situation because I think she had the bucket of pee in there and every time that chicken pooped she would go back to her bathroom (laughs) angrily pee in the bucket and say just you wait till this is full you know what I mean I think this is a premeditated urination oh my god that is disgusting I mean you have to be twisted to do that I don't want to pee in a damn bucket (laughs) that's so gross Ugh, her house was stink. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, let me let me continue. Terman confessed to battering the victim after being read her rights, cops say. No word on why Terman had a bucket of pee ready to be used. See? It could yeah. could have been premeditated. That's what I think. I think I she know. Was I think there. you're right. I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. Every time she saw that chicken poop, she was like wait for the day right (laughs) she like marked a a line on the bucket she was like i need this many ounces before (laughs) it's ready vengeance is mine Mm -hmm. anyway what is known is that she was booked into the pinellas county jail on misdemeanor charge of battery she's since been released from jail after posting a 500 hundred dollar bond her boyfriend 59-year-old Kevin Avery was also arrested for allegedly threatening stencil while authorities were present, reporters added. So these just this just sounds like a really bad neighbor thing that's not going away anytime Why soon. Why would he defend her? That's just like crazy mates crazy. But see, this is what I mean. When you have neighbors and behavior can escalate so fast and so bad, and it's not like you just go, oh, well, I'm just going to move. It's not that easy. It's... You have to live with it. It's 
terrible situation to be in. So according to Cox Media Group, a man by the name of James Nix in Jacksonville, Florida, took the whole neighbor rooster situation a step further. Nix was arrested and spent 30 hours in jail after he was accused of murdering his neighbor's rooster. He told WJAX that he was out checking his mail when a rooster approached him and he was forced to kill it in self-defense. Now, this is a direct quote. It says, I turn around and there's this chicken out there in the street. I said, oh boy, here we go. Turn around, walk to my place, bang, 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 bang. Now the chicken's in my yard. His neck flares up and he's doing his thing and he's trying to jump up at me. And I try to hit it, but the chicken's jumping up at me and I accidentally knocked it in the head. You know, call it a lucky shot, whatever. So that was his quote. He was saying he was like duking it out with the chicken. I don't know. He probably could have just went in his house, but I would get annoyed probably if every time I went to go check the mail, there's like a rooster like coming at at you. Yeah. 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 Those things can be crazy. Do you remember we got that Airbnb on the farm in North Carolina and it was your mom's birthday and there was a wild, uh, not a wild, but a farm turkey. Yeah, Tom, and I guess Tom Turkey. Yeah, they Tom, Tom Turkey. Turkey. Yeah. And I guess he didn't like his reflection in the car. Like maybe he thought it was another turkey, maybe it was being territorial. But we were trying to back out and it was this long driveway where you have to like back all the way down the driveway. And this turkey is just running up trying to peck at the car, which is like, "Oh my god, please don't damage my car." Right. So we had we had my aunt, um her sister like distract the turkey. <laughs> Like, right. like run it off so oh my god i remember car, and then she just like ran down the drive with this turkey <laughs> chasing after her I'm like get in get in go <gasps> so i know that being chased by a turkey or any kind of i guess just like avian they, they, can, be, <laughs> they can be relentless they can be relentless yeah i forgot all about that oh well, my I mean, gosh I, would, I wouldn't want to like kill it but no, no. I know I know that they can be relentless. Um, this guy probably should have just had like a better, I don't know, rain on his chicken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, it says when DeFleece came home, he said he immediately knew something was wrong. Quote, I didn't see my rooster at first, so I knew something was up because he would always come to chase. Okay, so this is a pattern. Mm-hmm. He would always come to chase me. Then I went in his yard and I yelled at him and he finally came out and said he killed him. Some neighborhood children allegedly told DeFleece that Nix had beaten the rooster to death. So Nix told WJAX. Next thing you know, he calls the chicken police on me. DeFleece told the station that he initially called Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, but when they failed to respond, he called Animal Control. Their investigation resulted in Nick's arrest on animal cruelty charges. Chickens are dying every day, people, at churches, Popeyes, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Really. He's not wrong, but I think there's the difference between, like, having that as a pet versus having it as dinner (laughs) right this guy has like an emotional attachment and like a familial i guess you could call it attachment to this chicken like this chicken is is with him right and and honestly how 
threatened did you really feel? Did you feel your life was in danger by a by a chicken that you had to beat it to death? It is pretty extreme. I kind of feel that maybe the children, as children often do, might have been exaggerating when they said they beat it to death. Like I I kind of believe Nick's that he hit it. And maybe in his fear, he just used too much force and like hit it and killed it. But, you know, I would just talk to my neighbor and be like, look, this chicken is a total nuisance. Can you keep it reined in somehow? Exactly. You know? It didn't I mean, have to get to that level. Right. And and I know the chickens walking out in the yard, you know, if it was in his yard, the guy's checking the mail, the mailbox is in his yard. So he could have had a fence. He could have had something to at least keep it in. So. I don't know. That's a that's a tricky one. I never like to see somebody beat an animal, but it is a tricky situation. Yeah. I mean, there's so many other things that, that could have been done. Do they have an HOA there? <laughs> Probably <laughs> not if they have chickens. But is there some kind of neighborhood rules? Are there any chicken ordinances out there for, <laughs> for housing them? Or is there any sort of regulation like... Can people just let their chickens run free like that? I mean, you don't know. They probably already had a bad beef between each other. That's how these things start. You know, one thing leads to another. They don't talk. There's miscommunication. And then it it just escalates. It's hard because you can move into a great place, find a great neighborhood, be near a great school, and yet you have a, a crazy neighbor. What are you going to do? You kind of have to deal with it and live in harmony. But you know what? I really would be curious if some of our listeners wrote into us and let us know some of their weird neighbor stories. Go on the Facebook group, the SoFlo Weird Facebook group. You can go on there and tell us your weird neighbor stories. It's just, um, you know, you, you can't really choose who lives near you and you never really know until you move in. But maybe just like be generally friendly because I, I feel like in most of these situations, it had been just this constant battle that had developed over time into like something that us as a third party looking at it was like, wow, it didn't need to get there. Right. But they've right. been they've been pestered for so long that it, it just developed into that. Now, all of a sudden, those spite walls we talked about earlier in the episode doesn't seem so bad. You know, you put up a wall, that's the end of it or a fence. Boom. If anything, but, that might have solved some problems. Like the wall is like, okay, well, I can't see you. You can't see me. Let's mind our own business. Exactly. Period. End of discussion. Anyway, well, thank you, Michelle. It's always nice to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more Strange Florida stories, be sure to visit us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching at SoFloWeird. And please join our SoFlow Weirdos Facebook group, where we share Florida's dubious tales every week. As a fan of the SoFlow Weird show, there are many ways you can become involved. Our goal is to create a community of weirdos who celebrate all things strange in the Sunshine State. Here's Michelle to tell you how you can join our team. Are you a super fan and weirdo to the core? Then consider joining our SoFlo Weird Street Team. Get free stickers and represent us on social media with hashtag SoFlo Weird Street Team. Just send us a message on social or through our website and you'll be on your way to street team status. 
Like what you hear on this podcast? Then consider giving us a review and please share with your friends. If you wish to support the SoFlo team in our freakish mission to entertain your insatiable appetite for weird stories, then go to our website, pick up some SoFlo swag, or buy us a coffee, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, and Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody. 